This Week in Tennis. Well, Craig, we've made it to episode two of This Week in Tennis. What do you think about that? It's uh, it's almost a surprise. It, we, we almost didn't make it to episode two last year. So um, at, at least we, you know, it's still January. We're on episode two. That's a good sign for the year, right? That sure is. Welcome to This Week in Tennis. My name is Phil Nasons. He's Craig Doyle. And we are bringing you the best news and commentary of both the ATP and WTA tours. You can catch this show daily at CSN Sports Radio. You can find it as part of the Cash with Flash Best Bets Radio Network at philnasonshow.com. You can find our picks, and I think we're going to start them next week at cashwithflash.com. Craig, you know, last year at this time, I remember this because we got in trouble over the LBGTQ thing, if you remember, with, uh, uh, what was her name? Uh, 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 I know, I know, I know. It's the lady from Australia, uh, the nun. Who is it again? Oh, Margaret Court. We got in trouble over that last year. This year, one year ago today, Phil Nasons, as you know, caught a lot of hell for that show. Or was it you that got all the trouble this time? Uh, I think it was a bit of both. Um, But I've got a feeling that you've been paying attention to the news this week because Margaret Court's been in the news this week. I haven't seen anything about Margaret Court this week. Because I kind of wrote her off after the last after last year. That was just a mess. What did she do this time? I think it's just a repeat of last year. Um, she's pretty much highlighted that she's not on the invite list for the Australian Open. I don't think many people are, given the COVID situation. But uh, that sparked a little bit of Twitter news, highlighting some old articles from the, I think it might have been the 1980s, that were printed in the British press that Martina Navratilova started retweeting to highlight what an evil person Margaret Court is. So this uh, ongoing feud between Margaret Court and her beliefs and her uh, church, or whatever you want to call it, Martina Navratilova and whatnot, it's just going to keep coming up year upon year at the Australian Open. I don't think this one's ever going to be buried. Well, it'll be buried when they bury her name underneath the stadium. That's when it'll be buried. It doesn't appear that Tennis Australia is doing that. So what are you going to do? All you can do is say what you say, but if you continue to say what you say, what you make is a martyr out of someone you want to try to convince. And I don't think that works. So we're not going to discuss that anymore. We know how she feels. She doesn't like, she doesn't, her beliefs state that homosexuality is a sin, it's an abomination, and that they shouldn't be allowed to play tennis or any of these other things, I think. She's just not into it. And whatever, you know, it's weird for her to say that because most of the people she played tennis with and were friends with are lesbians. I never understood that. But at the end of the day, she won all her titles. God bless her. You know, she's not a mean person. It's just her beliefs rankle a lot of feathers. I I think it was wrong because, you know, when you start singling people out, there's so many suicides with our youth today because this is a big issue for kids, for anyone, to come out of the closet you know, to uh, admit openly that they uh, don't follow the status quo, if you will. And it's tough. But you know what? I think Margaret Court would do herself a favor and just forget about it. We all know what she believes. Martina, too. She, We know what she believes. And, and just whatever, you know, we don't need this. We got enough in this world that we should be focused on. But people, what they do in their bedrooms probably isn't one of them. And I think we should just leave this be. And we've said enough, right, Craig? We've said more than enough. We've said far too much. And I don't think people are interested anymore, to be honest. I know I'm not. You know what? Uh, the end of the day is everyone has a right to what they to believe what they choose to believe. When it starts to affect others, then maybe you have to dial it back a bit. Now, someone who claims to be a Christian, I know that that's what they believe. But you know what? You win more people with love and kindness than you ever will with rancor and vitriol. And I can't believe I just said that, Craig. Um, no, it's a little bit out of character for you, but, you know. I got a lot of heart for the 2021. people. It's 2021. But I got a lot of heart for the people, as you know. Um, but whatever. And I can't wait till you and I meet again in New York City because we're going back to that Greek sports bar, dude. The uh, one opposite uh, 
the garden? Yep, you remember the one where the nice people were, where they we ate, drank, and drank some more, and missed the damn tennis. <laughs> Oops. Oh, that's true. <laughs> it was uh, that, that was a day session, so there there wasn't too much happening. Um, but yeah, no, you're back in New York shortly, right? I believe so. Yes, I will be. But we'll we'll make that public when we're ready to. So at the end of the day, we've got lots of problems, and and you know. The tennis world is pretty upset. There are players big time upset about these quarantine rules. Paula Badosa is ticked off too because she was in Abu Dhabi playing an event. And she got through that one. But when she arrived, they said that she uh, tested positive. And if it's that new strain of virus, she won't be able to leave her hotel room till the of February, and she's been there a long time already. But what she says, though, Craig, you know, she's ranked 67th in the world. She's done pretty well for herself. She seems like a very well-spoken young lady, and that's a beautiful thing. She's fought, too. She's a fighter. But what she said is this, and and this is going to be very, very interesting to comment about today. Before we get into the ATP Cup and give you some winners, I feel abandoned because I don't have training equipment, which I requested five days ago. I haven't been told which type of the virus I have. I've had no information from the tournament. She goes on to say, it's far and away the worst experience of my career. The conditions here are lamentable. I wasn't expecting that. The number one thing people recommend when you have the virus is to open the windows to let in air. But I don't have windows in my hotel room, and it's barely 15 meters square. That's pretty big, actually. And then, that's enough, really. You know what? And then she said in a tweet, because people flamed her, of course. She said, please don't get me wrong. Health will always come first, and I feel grateful for being in Australia. That was a very good thing to say, Paula, because we would have flamed you for that if you hadn't. Quarantine and preventative measures are pivotal right now. I talked about rules that changed overnight, but I understand the sad situation we are living. Sorry, guys. Stay safe. And then she went on to say again, listen to this. I have lost a lot of my fitness levels, especially my strength. If I come out on January 31st, I'll have had a week to get in shape. If it's February 5th, it'll be impossible to recover in time for the tournament. Wow. That's a lot to unpack, Craig. Is she right to complain about this? Does she have a does she have a fair gripe? No, for me, no. Um, I think she needs to go and have a look at what Rafael Nadal put out uh, on social media. In fact, it probably wasn't even Rafael Nadal. It was um, CBS News, which did a quick interview with Nadal, who was isolating in his hotel room in Adelaide. And I think he puts it in perspective for the rest of these tennis players that they're in a pretty good place. Um, a tournament or a succession of tournaments have been put on by Tennis Australia, which gives all of these young people an opportunity to earn some money in a time when a lot of people are out of work, got to stay at home, and their prospects of future work is very limited. These people are being brought to hotel rooms. they got to stay in that hotel room for two weeks, maybe more. Um, that's unfortunate if it is more, but that's something that's been explained to them beforehand. They know the situation before traveling, even though a few of them have decided that they uh, want to claim that that situation wasn't made clear. And these people got to look on it. These hotel rooms, you know, 15 square meters, that's a pretty big hotel room, you know. You and, you and I will tell you, we've been in hotel rooms that are a lot smaller than that. Oh, so yeah. They've got a bit of space. They're in, they're, I, I believe, looking at the uh, hotels that have been booked out, they're pretty comfortable looking hotels. Um, they're, they're going to get looked after. That's, that's a critical thing. You know, if they have any further signs of illness or whatever, they're going to have people, you know, from the tournament, um, health officials, et cetera, there to look after them. So they're in a pretty good place. The fact that you're stuck in one place for a short amount of time and you might not be able to compete in the tournament. I think that's going to be put in perspective in the fact that if you go out that door and you start infecting people, you might infect one people, you might infect 10 people, you might infect 1,000 people. Australia suddenly has a health problem again. You, you just got to put it in perspective that this is something that's a, a global pandemic. It, it's not limited to your participation in a tennis tournament. And you've got to suck it up. You know, you've tried your best to get to. You've done everything you can. You've followed the rules. It can be frustrating. Um, the limitations placed on any athlete before an event 
when, when they want to compete to win, that's frustrating. The athlete mindset is they want to go and win. But you, you got to play it as it is at the minute. This isn't normal times. These are extraordinary times. Follow the rules. Suck it up. If you don't like it, you know, you can go home after this and you can complain there. Um, nobody asked you to travel out. You, you made that decision, so you really aren't in a position to complain. Not at all. When you see the unemployment numbers worldwide, especially in America, and they don't, and the American government barely looks after the people who they've essentially put out of work with their policies. And that's a pity. But you know what? Nadal went on to further say some things, too. He said, I have not seen some of those who have complained so much about the conditions in Adelaide, complaining about the conditions of the more than 20 players who have not practiced. Complaints always come from a disadvantaged position. At the time of talking about fair play or equal conditions, people don't tend to complain about the position of those who are worse off than them. Now, that's a veiled shot against Novak Djokovic for sure, because you can see that there's a tension there. And then in the end, this is now listen to this. This is the most important thing to take from everything that Rafa said. And, and I'm proud of that kid. I met him when he was 12 years old. And he's, been, he's the same kid then as he is now. And he said this. Now listen, let this sink in. He said, in the end, we all try to get the most out of our possibilities and help each other. <laughs> yeah, but except Rafael Nadal doesn't talk about what he does for others. You can bet that Rafa Nadal made a couple of phone calls about these conditions. You can bet on that. But he's not going to tell you he did that. He's going to go to the people who make decisions. He's not going to run to Twitter and look for a following and, and, a, and, a, and preach to the choir. He doesn't give a crap about the choir. You know who he cares about? His family. That's why he wins. He's not down there complaining about being in a small hotel room. He's not complaining about the food. He's not complaining about anything. Instead, he's reminding people how lucky that they are and how grateful that they should be for the opportunities that they've been presented, and perhaps maybe you should make the most out of them and shut the F up. Is that a good paraphrase? Yeah, I think that sums it up pretty well. Um, I think so, too. I mean, what, what? you know what? There's so much dumb stuff going on, and I get it. They're inconvenienced because usually they're spoiled rotten, and that's the worst thing. These tennis kids, and I was one of them, spoiled rotten from the time they were about eight or nine years old. And so when they get out on the court, they think everything should be perfect for them. But in the real world, it's not perfect. And that's a pity that they don't realize that and recognize that and are so tone deaf that they don't realize that that losing check that they make for the first round of the Australian Open will be more than a lot of people make for an entire year. That's what I would tell my students. That's the perspective that people lose in tennis is that that, uh, you know, that'd be $50,000 or whatever it is in the first round of the losing the first round of the Australian Open is actually a lot more money than people, you know, most people in the United States are going to make all year. A lot of people would love to go to the Australian Open and lose in the first round and walk away with $50,000 in their pocket. Do you see, if you look at the news, and and I'm not going to highlight America's troubles or I'm not going to try to, but... I live in America, so that's what I see every day. Do you see those food lines? Do you see how long those food lines are? Okay, they're not showing them now because they have a new president they want to pump up. But those food lines are real, Craig. And, and none of these kids are standing in line waiting for a box of food to, hand, to feed their families for a week. None of them are that I know of. You know, they can complain all they want about how little they make on the tour, but they still get to travel the world. They still get an experience. They get to meet so many people who can help them along the way. It's not even funny. You know, I, I learned to be grateful of every opportunity that I have. And you know me very well. I make the most out of everything that I'm presented with, no matter what situation. And we could get into some real details, but you and I, we're not going to do that. That's a private thing. But the end of the day is perspective matters. And I get it that these kids are tone deaf because they're very secluded in real life. They're not out too much. They have their tight little inner circle where they're in charge. But unfortunately, the rest of the world doesn't march to their drum or their drum beat. And it's too bad. And I hope that this pandemic, if anything, it teaches us all to be grateful for everything that we have, Craig. 
Well, we can hope, but uh, I'm not entirely sure. I think a lot of people, especially on the tour, take it for granted that when they're on the tour, this is how life is. They don't realize how fortunate they are to turn up places, um, have hotel rooms booked, have catering available on site, have training facilities there, have sponsors providing the kit that they wear and the rackets that they play with, you know, to the every man you've seen the price of a racket these days and you watch some of these kits thrown around the racket that costs several hundred dollars like it's uh you know a ten dollar racket there's got to be a change of perspective somewhere they, they got to realize at some point that this stuff is earned and it, it's it's a luxury and it's not a given and, and for most people there's uh, there's a lot of envy for what these people get for for little to nothing Oh man, you got that right. And I'm I'm going to try to get off my soapbox, but this happened a couple weeks ago, January 12th, I think is when it happened. Um I don't know how many people are listening that are familiar with Christian Harrison. He's the older brother, I believe, of Ryan Harrison, and this kid has gone through a lot. I mean, a lot. He's had surgery upon surgery upon surgery. He's 26 years old at the time that he was playing in Delray Beach. He was ranked like 729 in the world, and all of a sudden now he's in the mid-300s, which is fantastic. He won like 11 matches to get into the semifinals. That's pretty good, considering this climate, this atmosphere, and the fact that he probably didn't have too many people to practice with. Maybe his brother, who knows. But at the end of the day, Christian Harrison was fined $3,000 for refusing to wear a mask in a mandatory on-court interview at the Delray Beach Open. It required him to wear a mask. He refused to be interviewed, and it cost him 3000 bucks. Now, that in and of itself, okay, sometimes that happens, but when you don't make that much money and a, and a guy ranks 700 in the world probably hasn't, a guy who's only won two matches on the tour since he's been an adult probably hasn't made a whole lot of money in tennis, Maybe he's getting some help from his brother or his parents. Who knows? Maybe he's got a little sponsor here and there. But he said like this. This is what his excuse for this. And I want to make sure that we talk about this. Because a couple of listeners, Craig, because we have at least two now, I, I found out, that uh, wanted us to talk about this. Because I think this is important, especially in this climate. He said, healthy enough to play three-hour matches, but I'm an absolute safety hazard walking maskless through a restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. From a guy who's been locked down for about nine months. <laughs> Go ahead. Go uh, ahead. <laughs> ahead, Craig. Let him have it. You don't want to, do you? I, I, I don't know what to say. You know, like, he, I, he's not the only one, you know. So no. I, I can't say that he's, like, the only one out there with that mindset and that attitude. But uh, I think he just makes himself an easy target, right? Oh, I think so. If he was trying to, you know... This is interesting because, truthfully, I never heard of the kid, okay? Not really, because he hasn't played at all in years. You know, and then I read the story, and I was like, I saw the last name Harrison. I said, is that his brother? Maybe that's the kid that got hurt in juniors, because he's had like eight surgeries. Serious business. I give this kid all the sorts of credit in the world for keeping his dream alive. I can't even spit it out. How, how happy I am to see this dedication. But then when we see this idiocy or idiocy that we we're, we're, we're have to endure, I don't know. Because what does one thing have to do with the other? Now, I don't know about him, but I know some people who've died from coronavirus, young people. And if I were the one interviewing him, I would expect him to wear a mask too. Now, I get it. He doesn't want to wear one. But that's the flimsiest excuse I've ever seen or heard since this whole mess started, Greg. I think what he's got to realize, and maybe he hasn't realized because of his um, shortened career due to injury and the limited opportunities he's had, is that he still is categorized as a role model. He's playing on an ATP World Tour level event. Um, and he's on camera. He's a role model to other kids, not just the kids who play tennis, but uh, kids in general, anyone who's watching. So he's got to set the right example, um, especially when you're on the television. It's just critical that if they're asking you to wear a mask during an interview, you do it. You don't ask the question. You just do it. Set the right example and show everyone out there that 
that's what the example is for everyone to follow and that you're not exempt from that um, regulation because you're a tennis player or you're a sports star or a celebrity or, or whatever. Um, just taking that uh, 30 seconds to put that mask on just makes a huge difference to society and, and their opinions as well. And if you turn one or two people into someone who wasn't wearing a mask to now being someone who does wear a mask, that, that could save lives. And, and that's kind of where this kid's missing the point. Um, I know everyone's got their opinions on masks. Some people, you know, have, have medical reasons for, for not wanting to wear them or, or whatever. But uh, he's just got this so wrong here. He, he could have set a really good example, prevented uh, a, a massive negative reaction from the public and the press and saved himself $3,000 in the process. Maybe so, but then he went on to um, wear a mask in subsequent Encore interviews, and he went on Instagram, because that's the, the where they go now, to uh, make their cases, to plead in front of their choir. This is what he said. He said, he said that uh, he was not aware it was mandatory to wear one for TV interviews. Now, the interviewer doesn't go and find him. The tournament people go and say, hey, there's your interview. And I'm sure they would have told him to wear a mask. He claims they didn't. And, and whatever. But the whole thing is, is if you're ranked anywhere from 200 or 150 on up, $3,000 fine is huge money. Unless you got a pipeline. Because his paycheck was a lot lighter than it should have been. And at the end of the day, 3000 bucks that can get you, you can play an entire challenger circuit of four or five tournaments or whatever it is now on 3000 bucks, And he's ranked 356 in the world. Unless he's getting wild cards, he's going to have to qualify for those events too. And I don't know, but he, you know what, at least, and then this is what he said too, all right? He's got more to say, and we're going to talk about this. He added that the ATP supervisor had told him that the fine would be rescinded if he appealed and promised to follow tournament rules even if he did not agree with them. Wow. He just threw the ATP people under the bus to save his own skin for being inconsiderate. He said it's not healthy to wear a mask in the hot sun for more time than absolutely necessary after a tough match. Does he have any stats to back that up? Because I don't think he does. I was given the impression it was optional. I wasn't told I would be fined. I was required to do a sit-down interview after the match with the same person which I agreed to, and, that I not, and I did not have to wear a mask for it. It's not about safety to wear a mask for TV to talk to a microphone with no one around. I don't support masking people for the sake of it for TV. <laughs> of course not. Here's the reality. He didn't want to wear a mask. He got busted, and then he found a whole ton of excuses to make himself look good while throwing ATP officials underneath the bus and the TV people. That didn't that doesn't make sense to me. If I were a tournament director, he would not be playing at any of my tournaments. Well, it's certainly not going to endear him to any local tournaments that might have been considering offering him a wild card spot uh, into the tournament. You know, if, if that's his attitude and that's his behavior and he's willing to go out to bat against the tournament, so to speak, then which tournament is going to be generous enough to offer this guy a wild card? Not many. Not many. You know, his last name has probably got him what he's gotten now, but that's it. I mean, at some point, he's going to have to earn his way, and he did. He, he doubled his ranking. That's impressive, by the way. After all those layoffs and not playing for who knows how many years, he only played a couple of matches as an adult. That's eight years. <laughs> he's got a lot of persistence or a lot of money, but either way, he had a great opportunity to do the right thing or at least say, you know what, I was wrong. I should have done it anyway out of consideration for the interviewer instead of making a bunch of excuses and throwing people under the bus. It just shows that maybe he still has some growing up to do like we all do. And hopefully this circumstance has awakened him somewhat. I think so. I hope so, Craig. And I'm not sure. But I don't think we're going to be talking about this kid anymore this year because we don't talk about challenger tournaments or satellite tournaments or players ranked 300 very often, do we? Um, not on the men's side. We don't know. No, on the women's side we do because they come out of nowhere. 
and it's on like a pot of neck bones for them. That's the craziest tour of all time is the women's tour. But the players were complaining, and there are now several tournaments available to the young people, and I think that's a great thing. I, I completely agree with their complaint that they don't have any warm-up events leading up to their first Grand Slam after they haven't played some of them for like six or seven months. That, that seems to me to be something that's good. And what they've done is they took the Australian Summer Series and they kind of put it on steroids, put some more money behind it, and let those small tournaments at least make a few bob you know, to pay their bills because these tournaments are hard to survive. These small tournaments, tough, tough way to go. But we have a big tournament coming up, and that starts on Monday, the 31st, or maybe it's Tuesday, the 1st of February. It's the ATP Cup, Craig. I know you're excited. Try not to try not to be too excited because I don't want to have to edit out any of the You know what I mean? <laughs> now, we had a quick chat about this the other day, didn't we? And I was just <laughs> highlighting to you the difficulties of actually getting to see this event here. That's kind of like where we are with tennis in this country now. They've got it locked up behind having to sign up to Amazon Prime so that you can see these things. Used to be able to get it on your TV subscription with the, the Sky Sports. You used to get all your tennis. But uh, these days, tennis is spread over so many different channels and networks and subscription packages that it's almost impossible to be a fan of the game. It, you know, the price of following tennis is the price of five or six different memberships and subscriptions now to be able to see all the tournaments you want to see so it's it's a little bit difficult to follow um I, and that you know it, you got to be real passionate to, to put out that kind of money to to see these level of events you want to see the, the slams and you know i'm going to see the australian open shortly and, I, and i'll see all the big events but uh this one is, is going to be a little bit challenging for me to follow you know what but it'll be okay because you know what it should be okay it's February 1st through the 5th, and I would think that if you have, I don't know what you have in Scotland, but I'm pretty sure they'll have it on ESPN or something because they don't have anything for tennis in months, and I think they might, whether or whatever. You know what? I'll stream it off my laptop like I did in Greece. I don't have a problem with it. I can find it. In fact, I'll, what I'll do is if I find a nice, dependable, legal stream, then I'm going to make sure to tweet it out for all of our two listeners so they don't miss a thing. That's called generosity. But I shouldn't have said it out loud because now I look like a hypocrite. But anyway, the draw for the ATP Cup was Friday, and it looks pretty good, man. Listen to Group A. We've got Serbia, who's the number one seed, followed by Germany and Canada. Now, the players in this event, obviously Novak Djokovic, and then we have Alexander Verov, and Denis Shapovalov will be in there. And we also have Dusan Lahovic from Serbia. My guy, my wild card for the Australian Open is Jan Leonard Struff from Germany. And of course, we have young Milos Raonic, who's not so young anymore in that group. But who would you bet on, Craig, in this, in this group, in Group A? Who do you bet? Because you can't bet, obviously, Djokovic. Um, well, no, it's not going to be great for the uh, for the odds on Djokovic. Um, the Instagram handicappers but, will love it, though. Yeah, yeah, but it's uh, for you and I. It's 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 not looking too good. Nope. So, who um, do you like in this but, group? I don't. <laughs> I like Djokovic. Um, I I just wouldn't be touching it, to be honest. Not this group. You know what? I would probably take Struff if I have a chance, if it's a good odds. Uh, Milos might play well, you know, because they are playing B players. You know, Lahovich is not so good, and I think that they can get him. But this is a stacked freaking Group A. There's no question about that. It is stacked. And you got Djokovic going all the way through. Who else? would it, who Who is he going to play at the end there? I guess it's round robin. So is he going to win all three matches, or is he? if he falls, who is he going to fall to? Uh, wow! Well, uh, right, on, see, that's on a, the problem. On Australian hard courts, like none of these players. I mean, it depends how much of an effort he wants to put in. I guess, like he's probably not played in a while competitively at at this level. So, 
he might be looking to win all three matches. That, that's the way I look at it. Like, he needs a tune-up before he, he gets to the Australian Open. I just see him, you know, none of these guys are a threat, really. I, I don't think if he wants to win the matches, so I'm not keen on throwing down any money on him losing to any of these guys. Now, none of the lines are available at any of the major sports books, but I think one of the guys I like the most is probably... I guess is Struff. Struff is going to give you good odds. I think Struff can take out Raonic. I think Struff can take out Zverev. Or I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, no, he can't. He's going to be on the same team with him. I would say, you think Shapovalov? You think that Struff can beat Shapovalov at this stage? Oh, that's uh, that's that. Yeah, I mean Shapovalov. He's a bit hot and cold, isn't he? Like he can come out, he can be red hot, and he can give anybody a game. Or he can come out and he can be, you know, he, he can start firing wide and long. And so I think stuff could give him a game. Why not? Why not? That's it, probably one of your better matchups. I think so. And there is no lines. I looked all day. I couldn't find anything. So uh, maybe they've got him out there in the UK. I don't know. But uh, my guy is Struff. I would have to say that Djokovic will probably win this that group. Only because, you know, he does love to play for Serbia. That's what his fans remind us of anyway. So maybe that's the case. But, man, I'm really liking Struff. I like that freaking serve of his. And that's a beauty. Now, Group B. Now, this is an interesting group because you have Spain. They're the number two seed, obviously. Greece and Australia. Now, you have for Spain, Rafael Nadal, obviously. And then Stefano Sissipas from Greece. And we have Alex Di Manure from Australia, and then we have the number twos are Roberto Batista Agut for Spain, Michael, hold on a second here, Mikel Perloverick, wait, Pervalacoris, and, and John Milman for Australia. Man, I stumble over that young kid's name every single time. Mikhail, I am so sorry. <laughs> I cannot say his name. Pervolaricus. Thank you. Okay, go ahead. Who do you like in this one and why? My God, how do I miss that name, Craig? Oh, it's pretty hard to look beyond Spain here. I mean, those two guys are going to be pretty big hitters at this Syrian Open. I don't know what kind of condition Nadal's in. I don't even know the last time he he got out there and played properly. The last time he was at 100%, probably at Roland Garros, and that's on the clay, so... Like Djokovic, he's probably going to be trying to tune up a little bit here. I think it's going to be really difficult to look by Spain, but then that sort of odds are going to be covered pretty well. Maybe you get something on Dimoner taking out someone. That's that's maybe possible. Um, Sipsipasi, he's going to be he's going to be tuning up as well. He's going to be playing some good stuff. So maybe the big, the smart money probably on Sipsipas to do some damage. I would say Sipsipas could be the one who takes this group. You know, Rafael Nadal likes to play, but he, these are tune-ups now. You know, before it was, he'd probably already had one exhibition behind him, and then they played. You know, that was him and Roger Federer's idea, right? This whole ATP Cup. So that's good. But I like the Manure a lot. I like Sisipas. And you know what? Honestly speaking, Pervolarikis, he can play too. And that could be good. But you know what? I also like Agut. So you have to pay attention to the odds. But if I had to pick one guy who would come through in flying colors in this, aside from Rafael Nadal, I would go with Sisipas. And I wouldn't even look twice about that or think twice about that. Now, Group C, this one could be real interesting because Dominic Deem has been in the news too because uh, he got called out for that by, uh, who was it, Pella? Called him out for not saying anything about the conditions. What does he care? He's there to win a tournament. And he's also ranked third in the world. And in this group is Austria, Italy, and France. Now we've got team. We've got uh, who we got here also. We have um, Gail Monfils from France and Matteo Berrettini from Italy. And the number twos are Dennis Novak for Austria, Fabio Fognini. <laughs> we could go on and on about him. And Benoit Paris from France. This isn't a bad group, but I think you could probably see an upset or two in Group C. If you're a betting man or woman and you want to make some mob, 
Group C is the place to be, I think. You just never know what you're going to get when you've got Monfils, Fognini, Paré. I mean, you know, these guys are nuts. Um, Fabio Fognini, he can come up and beat anyone. He can also self-destruct completely anyone. Benoit Paré, pretty much similar thing. And, you know, how much money have I lost betting on Gael Monfils in the past? Oh, my God. You know Uh, what a prop bet for him would be? How many times he goes hits the ground in a match? How many times he falls down in a match? I would say the over-under in a two-set match or three-set match, best two out of three, seven times. Is that is that when he comes to net to volley, then he throws himself at the ground as he volleys? I mean, you're going to get at least three or four of those in the first set. Plus, um, yeah, plus you know what else he does? He he goes to that side-to-side sliding on hard courts. That's not a really good practice. I know they make shoes for him. I know that's what you all like to do, but I don't think your ankles are going to like them very much when you snap one. Yeah, he likes to run the back of the court, doesn't he? And that usually involves a bit of falling over. No, that's probably quite a good bet. That's probably a better bet than uh, putting money on him to win a match. Are you listening out there, sports books? Make a prop bet. Seven or under? I would think so. Make the total seven. And I bet you you get a lot of people who actually pay attention to tennis that would get in on that because I know I would be the first in line if they allowed me to bet. But uh, Dominique Team, he, he's got to be the guy. You know, last year, what is he, one and two in this cup? I would think he would want to go out and, and do some damage. I would think if I were him, I would want to take this freaking tournament and make sure it happens. Win it. Get that behind him because it's the best time for him, right? Yeah, it is. Um, it absolutely is. Uh Okay, so uh, it's got to be. But the other guy I think could have a good tournament or a good event here and in Australia is Berrettini. What do you think about Berrettini? Yeah, I mean, he arrived on the scene pretty hot, didn't he? Like, he he just went on this this right hot streak. He he came out there firing, and he got himself into the top 10, and it's like, is it now or never for him, do you think? Like, he's in the top 10. Does he have to go make a, a statement now that he's made it to the top 10? Or or is he going to drop? How do you see it? I mean, you were pretty high on him when he, when he hit the heights. Well, I, I had him from the beginning, if you remember. Remember the Asian swing in 2019? I had him all the way through that thing. And he made me a lot of, or he, I should say he made my clients a lot of money because I can't bet most places. But at the end of the day, I do think he needs to win a Grand Slam now. I think he needs to take that step. Once you get to the top 10, you know what? The sky's the limit. Anything can happen. And during these times, you know, they're not making the stat. You have to play so many weeks to be number one at the end of the year. Now, he could actually do it. Now, I haven't looked at his points yet, but I would think if I were him, this is a tournament I would try to make a move on because he plays good in these kind of courts, in these kind of conditions, in the heat. He's very good at it. And usually these guys are uh, clay quarters like Fognini, more likely. But look, he can take out Monfils. I think, I, I don't know if he can beat Team yet, but he could win at least two matches in this. I would think that he could beat Dennis Novak. I don't think he could. I don't see how he loses to Benoit Paris. So what do you got? You know what I mean. Well, we don't have the draw yet, so we don't. We're just guessing. But I think Berrettini is has a great opportunity here if he makes the most of it. You haven't heard him talk about it at all, have you? I've not, but um, you know, I, I don't think it's impossible, as you say. I think it's yeah. Why not? I'm telling you, I think the Australian Open, Craig, is going to be won by a dark horse this year. I don't think the top guys are going to win this one. I think the situation is not suitable for them. You know, they like to have their way in everything, the top guys, the top 10 guys. And I don't think that, uh, I don't think that Djokovic or Nadal are going to win this one. I think that they're, all this quarantining and being stuck in their hotel room is going to be a bit too much. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like a race from a standing start, isn't it? You know, it's these guys are used to having a little bit of momentum coming in here. 
whether they they go to a a satellite tournament or they they used to play the the Hopman Cup now they this ATP Cup. Um, they used to have a bit of a tune up before they come in, and and this feels like they're not going to be up at full fitness or they're not going to be up at full match fitness. So I think maybe in the first week of the Open, we're going to see a few surprises when these guys, you know, they're hitting best of five and they're they're not up there playing at 100%. I think you could just depend on the court conditions, how quick they are. There might be a few surprises in the first week. I think you're going to see a lot of surprises on both sides of the tour. We're going to talk more about the ladies next week. And when we see what they're doing, they have tournaments, but we, again, we don't have any draw uh, players list. We don't have much to go on, but next week we're going to have everything when we do this. And we're going to do this on Thursday of next week, I think, because that's when the draw will be out for sure. But I'll tell you, I'm high on Berrettini. I've been high on him since he, I saw him play in Asia. And I think he's going to have a good year. I thought last year he would have had an amazing year, but obviously it got halted. And that's unfortunate. I don't have much hope for these others. Fognini, Fognini's just hanging out at this point in his career. Monfils, Monfils is hanging out with his girlfriend. And he's ticked off about that because he can't hang out with her at all. <laughs> so he's not happy. And I wouldn't be either because I know how that feels. And I'm ready to get on with my thing too. So anyway, we've got Group D. Russia, Argentina, and Japan. Now listen to this roster. This is a good one. This is another one where if you're smart and savvy, you're going to be able to pick up some bucks. And I'm going to be making some picks for you all week long. So don't worry about that. I Maybe we'll talk Craig into doing some too, but I don't think he likes this event. Anyway, we have Daniel Medvedev. We have Diego Schwartzman. And we also have Kai Nishikori. They're the top three players from their countries. The second tier is very interesting also because you've got Andre Rublev, who I thought should have made a move last year and didn't. Guido Pella, who's been whining about the tournament all the time, and he gets to play when he when everyone else doesn't. And Yoshita Nishioka. Now I don't think much too much about Nishioka. I think he plays on the surface. Who's that guy? Because who is it in this group? <laughs> well, it's probably like he. Side group C is quite open. This is uh, this is where you want to look if you if you're looking for winners. But like as I said about the Australian Open, this is these guys haven't played for a while. Nobody's got any sort of form coming in. So I'm like really tempted to sit here and say the first round of matches. I want to back off and see exactly who's who, and then I might come in on the second round of matches when I see who's who's done well in the first round. Because I couldn't tell you out of any of those guys that you mentioned who's going to come out and blow somebody away in two sets i just at this stage i don't have any form to work with so i don't know i mean i know which guys have played well traditionally on a hard court but what's their fitness like have they been practicing in the lead up to this have they had covid is that affecting their fitness i believe nishikori's had covid we all know that his fitness is questionable at times um so you know maybe i'm thinking I put a bet on now for Nishikori to have a retirement in his uh, first match. You know, <laughs> that's, that's probably better than trying to pick a winner. Well, that could be. But, you know, he trains with Michael Chang, and Mike was always very fitness-oriented. And I think that Kai Nishikori had some injuries last year. He had a tough year. And then he had to – what did he, didn't he have food poisoning or something? Plus, he missed so much time because of the COVID pandemic and the shutdown. I like Nishikori in this division, in this group. And I'll tell you why. Because that kid doesn't quit. He really doesn't. We've seen him win five-set matches. We know what he's capable of when he's fit. That What you said about waiting maybe one round to see might not be a bad idea. I have seen some tapes of him practicing, though. I'm sorry, videos. And uh, he looks fit. So we don't know. But you know the guy that has the most to gain from this entire group would be Rublev. I mean, Rublev was kind of disappointing after the year he had at the Austra- or the U.S. Open in 2019. And he didn't really come out of the gate firing, and he kind of cost us some money, if you remember. But he's the guy. He can beat Pella. He can beat Nishioka. He can beat Nishikori. 
He can beat Diego Schwartzman, and I think he can knock off Medvedev too. I mean, he could beat them all, but can he? That's the key, and we don't have the draw in front of us. Is he up for the task? I mean, a year and a half ago, I would have said for sure. A year ago, I think I bet on him, and he lost. So what is it? Which is the real Andre Rublev? Who is that guy? And if the real one shows up, the 2019 underdog, remember with the mop cop hair and all that stuff? That was beautiful. He he cashed us some tickets. I like Rublev in this division, in this group, dude. I really do. Who beats him? Well, he doesn't have to play Medvedev because they're both Russians, so he's, well, he's got that him. on his side. Um, who beats him? Diego Schwartzman could beat him. He's uh, one of those that can go on a little bit of a run. We've seen that down the years. Sometimes you, you look and Schwartzman's there in, in the last eight or the last four tournaments, and he, he's come out of a bit of nowhere. And, um, the problem with Rublev is he's one of those top 20 players, and you think he's going to break the top 10 and stay there, and he doesn't. And we've seen them down the years. We, we've seen a lot of these guys down the years. Um, and I, I'm not talking about your Songos or your Berdiches. I'm talking about your guys like Monfils, um, Simon, Verdasco. All of these guys had a lot of talent. They all threatened to be the top guy that was going to come in and, and, and push towards the top of the rankings and stay there. And they lasted a year or two, and then they just dropped down. And that's where Rublev is. He's got to decide where... He's going to become a Wawrinka or, or that type of player, or if he's uh, happy being a Demichov. Yeah. You know, he's uh, got a bit of money in his pocket and, and things are really good. You know, he's got a good life and he, he can go live where he wants with Novak Djokovic in uh, Serbia or, or, or wherever he's living. Or, you know, he can do that now that he's got money in his pocket. He doesn't have to go back to Russia if he doesn't want to. But is that what he wants or does he want to be a champion? I don't know. Maybe we'll find out this year. I think we're going to find out in the next couple of weeks. This may be the only event we have for a long time. We don't know. The world has turned into a crazy place. We can't even plan for anything because everything and anything can happen in a blink of an eye. We've seen that. But I'll tell you, this is going to be a great, great warm-up event because it won't be like the exhibition it usually is. These guys are getting ready to play in a major, and they haven't played in a while. So... And most of them right now are playing on their balconies. You know, like uh, Pella said in the news, he said, you know what? Novak Djokovic's balcony is bigger than most of our rooms. Now, I don't know how he knows that. I guess he was watching Novak playing with a coach volleying because that's all they're doing. It should be interesting. The best and hungriest and the one with the most to gain is going to take this event. Which country, Which, if you were going to bet, on which country would win this event? Who's it going to be, Craig? Um, probably Spain. Um, it's difficult to say. I mean, Serbia is going to be a good shout as well, just because Novak Djokovic is there. Um, who else do we have? Russia's got two pretty strong players there. They they might be able to spring a shock. Um. Yeah, you know, I would say probably Spain, but then you don't know how many games after Nadal wants to play. He might just want to play two matches here and be quite happy playing against Greece and Australia and then going home. Um, you know, he, he might have enough in those two matches to say, I'm ready for the Australian Open. You, you could see that from anywhere in, in here. You don't know how, if any of these guys out here want to play four singles matches or whatever it's going to take to win this tournament. So you've always got to be a little bit cautious, but I, I think like... Going on the history of this event, I think it was Spain and Serbia last year, and Serbia won in the final. I think we'll uh, we'll see a pretty strong challenge from Spain this year, and that's a difficult group with Greece and Australia. You know, Australia, the home team. Greece obviously got a very, very talented young man in uh, Stefano Tsitsipas. But I think Nadal here is, he's got enough to beat both of them, and he's playing with a really top second player. Um that that's going to cause those two teams problems. Well, you know what? He this year he's going to play against Stefanos, and I think he's what six and zero against Cicipas or six and one, four and zero on hard courts. He's three and zero against Demonur, and you know what? Anything can happen though because we don't know their fitness, and that's a hard one. But what we do know is that we're going to be paying close attention and we're going to be cashing tickets. 
at least for this week, we don't even know if the Australian Open is even going to play. Let's face it. We have no idea what they're going to do because they're spiking over there too. And a lot of folks are blaming it on this event and these events coming up. So it should be interesting. But we got a couple more minutes left, Craig. If you had... Actually, we got four minutes. If you had a couple wild cards, and we have a bunch of other tournaments going on too, but we don't have the draws, we don't have players, nobody does. The second that we do, and the second that it hits the bookies, we're going to be all over it. Don't worry. We will have it covered. But if you had a wild card to pick, let's say either side, if you had one person that you could bet on pre-match, pre-tournament, who would that be, Craig? To win the Australian Open outright? To win the Australian Open outright. Yeah, on the on the women's side, I I quite like Victoria Azarenka. I thought she had a really strong end into last year. She's come back from having a child and she's uh you know, she was real close to winning tournaments last year. I think she she might have gotten like the semifinals and stuff which was pretty impressive. I think she's one that she's not going to be the shortest odds in the world, but uh, she's got to be right up there. She, You know, as a sensible pick and not picking someone just out of nowhere, that's kind of the one I, I gravitate towards on the women's side. Whereas on the men's side, I mean, we are going into uncharted territory here because if Nadal wins this thing, Nadal becomes the greatest player of all time. He holds the most Grand Slams. He goes ahead of Roger Federer. He becomes the man. So there's a little bit of incentive for him here. But I think that incentive is dampened by the fact that Federer is not here. And he knows that Roland Garros is coming up in a few months' time. So he may just sit still until then. So I'm, I'm going to you know go down the rankings a little bit. And I, I'm going to go for a, a first tournament win for Nick Kyrgios because I believe that Nick Kyrgios is playing I read it through the week that he's playing and I think he's just going to come out of nowhere he's going to come out all guns firing he's going to get that big serve going and he's going to you know cause a bit of a stir right down there in Australia you know what that's my guy too Nick Kyrgios I think he's due for one I mean I don't like to use the term due for but he's getting better and you know what he's getting better about his mental attitude. He's training. He's eating right. He's not talking crap except say, hey, you know what? Knock it off. Don't you realize how lucky we are? That kid is starting to figure it out. And when he does, his talent's going to catch him. And when that all happens together, boom, the perfect storm. That's my guy. And and you know what I'm going to do with the girls? I'm going to take Maria Sakari at plus 2,500. And then I would take the field bet. Anyone else not on the list at plus 500? Because I think oh, I think someone unknown is going to win this if it's not her. You know, we'll talk about this in more detail next week, Nick Kyrgios. But if you want a real outside bet, bet on Nick Kyrgios higher on a coach this year. At some point, he's going to figure it out that he can get some help. And that's going to take him to the next level. So there's an outside bet for this year. And it could be someone we know. But never mind. That's okay. Great show, buddy. I'm sorry that we got messed up with the damn uh, internet because it's a mess. But this has been a great show. And you can find Craig at CD Sports Media, correct? On Twitter? You can. I'm still there. He's still there. And you know where to find me at Cash with Flash. For Craig Doyle, I'm Phil Nasons. Thanks for listening to This Week in Tennis. This Week in Tennis.